This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. You're listening to C-Suite Success Radio with your host and executive coach, Sharon Smith. If corporate success is your goal, C-Suite Success Radio offers you informative interviews with experts that will help you shorten your learning curve and accelerate your momentum to higher achievement. C-Suite Success Radio makes it simple and easy for you to tap into the wisdom of other successful business people who know the path you're traveling. If you're ready for success in corporate America, welcome to your new home at C-Suite Success Radio. And now, time for your host and C-Suite Executive Coach, Sharon Smith. Welcome to this week's episode of C-Suite Success Radio. I am your host, Sharon Smith of C-Suite Results. Each week we focus on success, a word we all know and something we strive towards, but not a word that's easy to define. All of our topics and guests are aimed to help you achieve the goals you have set for your organization and for yourself as a leader, but more importantly, to help you accelerate the pace of your success. On today's show, we have Brian Hazelgren, a globally recognized expert in startups, sales and marketing, business planning, health and wellness, and leadership training. Brian has written 14 books, including the number one books on business planning and entrepreneurship. He has also personally trained over 65,000 business executives. Brian designed and implemented the Entrepreneurship Center at the University of Utah, created the new degree in entrepreneurship, and was an adjunct professor from 2001 to 2011. During Brian's career, he has raised over $1.3 billion for Children's Hospital, as well as funding needed to launch and expand over 15 small business ventures. He was a member of the 1984 BYU National Championship football team and holds the record for the state of Utah in the 100 and 200-meter dashes that have stood for over 38 years. Brian is also the proud father of six amazing children, including two sets of twins. Let's listen to the conversation I had with Brian and learn how he defines success and the lessons he has learned to help you gain the edge you're looking for. Brian, welcome to the call. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Sharon. It's an absolute honor to be here with you today. It's so great to have you on the phone. You and I have met different times in person. I've got your book. I'm excited to read your book. And it's just nice to have you on the call. Let's start out by you providing a really great intro to who you are, what you're working on, what you're excited about. It's going to do way better justice than the intro I've already recorded. So let's hear from you. Okay, love to. Well, uh, I'm a partner in uh, a health and wellness and medical services company called rx to live We call that the prescription of life. And uh, we actually uh, have been uh, working this company for several years now. We decided to turn it into a franchise model a couple of years ago. Uh, seen a lot of good success. Had, have some amazing franchisees out on the, on the market today all across the country. Uh, we've grown very rapidly, but you know the the nice thing about what we do is we're very focused on health and wellness issues. We're very focused on really three vertical markets, helping physicians grow their practice with different products and services. We're very involved in the workplace wellness space and have uh, some software programs and some pretty fun and exciting ways for employees to. Uh, really dig in and get re-energized about being healthy. And then we have a third vertical market that we focus on, and that's where we work with a lot of senior care facilities 
to deliver services and products that are geared specifically towards the senior um, living space, and that again drives revenue to those senior living or uh, senior care facilities as well. So, I'm all about health and wellness, and figuring out the best ways that we can make a positive impact on as many lives as possible with their health. Excellent. And the topic when we first met that really intrigued me and said, oh, Brian, you've got to be on the show, was the workplace wellness, the corporate wellness, because there's going to be a lot of people listening to this show who are in leadership positions or on their way to leadership, and they're working really, really hard. And it seems to be one of the first things people let go is the health and wellness when they get busy, whether it's because they're in the C-suite or whether they're a busy parent or a teacher or whatever it might be, health and wellness always seems to be the thing that people feel can go, it goes away the easiest, even though it's the most important thing because without it, who are we? We're, we're not really here. So I want to hear more from you about workplace wellness, wellness in the C-suite, and just the, any information you can provide as to why it's so important. Love to talk about that topic. In fact, the book that I wrote last year uh, basically talks Nothing but that topic, because when you know when we're out in the in the marketplace and we talk to C level executives from all different walks of life, from different companies, different sizes and shapes and and markets that they focus on, what I've learned is that American businesses are literally in crisis mode to help finding solutions to lowering their healthcare costs. And when when we see that, we also hear the stories of, hey, help us figure out how to reduce our claims costs, or how do we re- reduce our absenteeism, or even a, a new popular uh, phrase is, how do we how do we actually help our chronically ill employees that are showing up, but they're only at 30, 40 percent capacity? How, you know, how do we how do we help them? And one thing that I keep learning and keep hearing pretty much on a daily basis is that you're going to have companies are going to have about 20% of their employee base who are chronically ill but they're costing the company 80% on their healthcare costs. So we just dug in and said, look, this is a, a, an area that we're very passionate about. How can we actually positively affect those employees not just that are chronically ill but all of the employees within the organization and how can we kind of re-energize the whole thought process of being involved in a wellness program and and not just you know not just the basics of doing an annual wellness fair and giving a discount at a local gym and maybe reminding the the employees to work out more and eat better i'm talking something a lot deeper than that and ways that we can actually help with this crisis that companies are faced with right now and helping those employees become more productive and more happier at the workplace. We all know that when that happens, that will also will affect the bottom line. If employees are happier, if they're healthier, if they're showing up to, to work where they can actually feel like they're contributing in, in more ways than, than just you know showing up and doing their job. But now if we can help them show up and be happy and healthy, they can be more productive. So that's, that's one thing that we focus on a lot uh, at least I focus on a lot in our in our company is, you know, and it's not just our health because the book um, also talks about our health, our wealth, or how do we how we manage our wealth, not necessarily becoming wealthy, just how we managing manage our own personal finances, and then the balance that we have in our lives. Those are the three areas that we focus on a lot. 
uh, not just with our, with our corporate wellness programs, but also every time I go out and speak, we try to you know listen about this crisis mode that these companies are screaming loud and clear that we need some help. So it, it is a huge issue. It's costing American businesses. Uh, it's getting close to $1 trillion wow. of poor, poor health care. And when you start talking numbers like that on an annual basis, that runs through the ranks of small, medium, and large-sized companies. And so every one of us are, are affected by poor health. Let me just give you a quick example. Please. We were working on some studies with uh, some major universities to try to figure out you know, where are these costs? Where, what, what's going on with, with the percentages that are actually going up in chronic illnesses? And with these studies that we, that we were participating in, we saw that if, if we can actually get in, work with the employees, have something a little bit above and beyond what they are used to with the, what, what is considered to be a wellness program, what if we could start reducing some of those sick days? What if we could start reducing some of those health care costs? And maybe even if we can start reducing some of those workers' comp claims. Uh, what, what if we look at helping the companies save more money if we address some of those chronic illnesses? And what we're starting to realize is that $1 trillion that's costing the companies throughout America is not only just costing the companies, it's costing us as the consumers, because those companies have to they're not just going to be able to pay for it on their own. They have to raise the prices in their, their own services and products in order to cover that $1 trillion in expenses. So we are seeing a huge difference now on how we can, for an example, um, reduce sick days by 28%. Or what if we were to reduce, or actually I can show the companies, how we can reduce their health care costs somewhere between 19 and 26%. When you start talking those numbers, that's a lot of money that we can actually bring back to the company because we can help their employees become more productive and, and feel happier and, and actually want to show up to work because now they're feeling better. So we've got that, that, that's our mission. That's what I, you know, what we do every day and how we also want to reach out to the business leaders to help, you know, start to shed a bright light on the fact that there's a lot of your employees that are not feeling well. Uh, we can get them to another level. And the whole point of that is how do we tie wellness or well-being into the overall corporate strategy? That's what our job is. That's really interesting. So I'd love to hear more about how organizations, whether it's been through working with you guys or through just conversations you've had and they've done it on their own, what is it that they are doing or how are you helping them tie wellness to the corporate strategy? What are the things, the actual line items that they're doing differently or that their employees are doing to increase their happiness or increase their wellness? What are some of those key tasks? Probably first and foremost is we work with the senior team to help them understand how much this is costing their company if they're not going to address the wellness portion or the well-being portion of their employees. We start there. We start showing the numbers. Look, if we can help reduce some of your health care expenses, if we can increase your productivity, what does that actually look like? So we start literally at the C, the C level and start showing them, A, what it's costing, B, what it could look like if we just implemented a few things. And some of those few things are, first of all, having the management team actually buy into the fact that we definitely need to tie in wellness or well-being into our corporate strategy. That's our, that's our first and foremost thing that we do is work with the leadership team, 
to make sure they're on board with this. Because if they are on board, they can push it down throughout the ranks of the rest of the company and really get some people fired up where you can have a couple of champions who go out and say, yeah, we, we definitely want to you know, tell everybody about some of these wellness programs that we can in, uh, start having our employees work with. We, we tie a very, uh, very robust software program that's actually an app. It's on everyone's phone. Uh, into our into that strategy so that everybody can see the data and have information being pushed to them on a daily basis. Even the core values of the company can be pushed down to the uh, all of the employees, and that's that's one area that we do. It's an entire HR communication suite that we utilize. But again, it goes back into the leaders of the company. We need to get them thinking about tying wellness into their corporate strategy. I'll give you an idea, or tying wellness into the overall corporate strategy. One of the uh, things that I cited in the book was uh, an example of, of uh, a Safeway. They have a large um, employee base, and for many years they were talking about, you know, that they're a grocery company that has a wellness program. And at the time they had 19% participation. Management got the idea that what if we were to change our focus a little bit? What if we were to tell everybody that we're tying wellness or well-being into our, literally, our overall corporate strategy? What if we switch our mantra from, yeah, we're a grocery company that has a wellness program. What if we switch it to, we're a wellness company that happens to sell groceries? Then you fast forward a year later, that 19% participation rate is now 83% participation in in people saying, oh, yeah, if I, if I work out more, if, I, if my leaders are saying that I need to do this, if, uh, I, I can tell my other colleagues, well, now they have a whole lot more people engaged in the well-being program of the company because the company leaders took it serious enough to say, we need to tie this whole wellness and well-being concept into our overall company strategy, and that's part of our core values. That's one area that we work on is, again, we start with the with the leaders, and then we, we have certain, you know, we, ha- we even have a fun little competition that we do. We run that for six weeks, and then when you compare it to what that little competition does, it actually gets people re-energized because they can win a cash a- a reward for, for participating. Uh, they can be recognized with their, within their group or within the peers of all their employees to show, that, show the rest of the people, hey, I'm involved in this. And people can get recognition for being involved and for doing well with their own personal health. So those are things that we we tie in directly. Then we've got uh, you know a DNA program. We've got a thermal scanning program. So we've got all kinds of different things, but we customize that to the specific needs of the company, their culture, how many employees they have, what their budget is. I guess most importantly, I guess the the thing that I'd like to just maybe explain or have everybody recognize is that we're working with the leadership team to really help them understand how they, how we can show them how they can tie wellness or well-being into their overall corporate strategy just by a few tweaks and changes here and there. Yeah, I would think that if an organization has a lot of illness or chronic illness or um, some of the things you've been talking about that decrease productivity, a lot of that comes from the culture of the organization from the top down, from the, the folks running the show, more or less. So starting with them obviously makes great sense. I've talked with many people about you know needing top down top down strategies. Do you find that once you've communicated this is the cost 
to not doing anything differently, and this is the what you could reduce your cost to, and people are buying in at the leadership level from, a, oh my gosh, that's a huge savings, that we, bottom line, that makes sense. Are they also then at the senior level understanding that their own health needs to be looked at? Are they also getting into it and participating? Are you seeing the C-suite, the executive leaders, making big changes in their own health? Yeah, we do, because um, we always kind of uh, really hone in on the fact that, look, they're not going to follow you if you're talking about health and wellness, but you're not healthy yourself because you're not taking time to make make some time for yourself. We are seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of ways to make it more of a collective effort. Basically, the way I look at this, it needs to be done with employees, not not to them is kind of what I outlined in in the book. Otherwise, if, you know, if it's done to them, they feel like, oh, I've got to, I have to do this, uh, then the effects won't last. So we need to, so what we do, again, is we work with the management teams, wherever they may be, even if they're, um, you know, spread across the, the valley or the country or even the world, we will look at how we work specifically with them. Uh, and again, everything is all tied into our app. So uh, not only can management see their own progress, they can see the progress of their employees because the employees are also talking about it within the app. It's almost like an internal Facebook account, for lack of a better term, that people can post their results of what they're seeing, what they're engaged in, and others can comment on that because they can see the post, and then they can even provide recognition for those that are doing a job well done. I've got several C-level executives that are saying, look, I went out and I I did my 8,000 steps today. I drank my 80 ounces of water. Uh, I spent 15 minutes on my goals and objectives. I spent 30 minutes of quality time with my family. And so the rest of the employees are seeing the example of the leaders, and they're following that. And so then you have other champions who say, well, if my leader's doing that, I want to be a participant in that as well. And they even get recognized for it. So that's really part of that whole strategy. How do we work with the leaders on their own personal health so that they can become that example that the rest of the employee base can follow? And then how do we find uh, from those leaders, who, do we, who are the other champions that we know that will help push the idea throughout the rank and file of the company of wellness being tied into the overall corporate strategy. That's excellent. I like that idea very much. Are you able to see a correlation in organizations where the executive team is more active on the app versus those executive teams that might not be as active in terms of how uh, the results are for their employees? Yeah, the, the, the cool thing about the app is it all what it does is it actually helps uh, not just management you know, push information out, uh, it's also tied into the uh, HR department, so even HR can have someone say, hey, I noticed that you haven't been participating in one of our challenges or one of our little competitions. Maybe what can I do to help you to, to, to be more involved in that? And it's not like you know they're beating them over the head with a hammer that if you don't uh, participate, you're going to be punished. It's not any of that. It's more of how can we help you be more involved in what we're doing as an overall company because our core values are – you know, and then they list what those core values may be for the company that ties into the culture. But part of the core values are we want you healthy. We want you happy. We want you showing up. We want to make it personal for you. And I think when we make wellness fun and rewarding, um, you know, it, it helps people generate a feeling of accomplishment individually as a group and then as a company. It may be coming from the top down, 
But then it goes from the bottom up with that whole idea of, again, making wellness fun and having it rewarding for the people involved. And then if they're starting to feel, um, if it's, you know, if they're feeling a um, accomplishment along the way, then it's now pushing back up through the organization and you can see the productivity increase because now participation is increasing in the wellness program. And do you see a correlation, participation increasing as executives spend more time sharing their, their progress and what they're doing? Yes, absolutely, without question. That's the beauty of, of the app. It, you know, obviously, it's very powerful to even do a health risk assessment. You know, there's assessments you can do on there, and, mm. and it's great to see all the news feeds about health and wellness and well-being. But when people are actually making comments about their progress, they're talking about their accomplishments. It makes them feel good. It makes them want to be able to, you know, participate more. We're seeing both, again, from the leadership team, when they share those experiences that they've accomplished something uh, as a good example uh, to the rest of the employee base. The other employees are picking up on that, and then they start sharing more of their success stories and more of their accomplishments. And so now you have the entire company working together. So it's not just, you know, it's not just one size fits all. It has to fit everybody. That's not the case. It's actually, uh, we, we try to make it personal so that they can, you know, relieve some of those stresses of the daily grind of being at work and become more productive. But, you know, we can't dictate to them what that productivity looks like. It has to be, especially if someone has several chronic illnesses, um, you know, they may not feel like they want to do that. All right, well, let's start a little bit um, with with less, maybe, as someone who's working out every day for, you know, an hour a day at least uh, versus someone who is just starting out. So we have to kind of make that personal, and that's all going to come from the leadership because when they put that into motion and they talk about their own successes and their own accomplishments, now the rest of the, the employees can figure out what those accomplishments will look like specifically for them. Brian, what's your background that led you to this place? We have all have our used to do this, now we do that, especially as entrepreneurs, or had this entrepreneurial endeavor, now this entrepreneurial endeavor. You've been very successful in lots of what you've done in this space. I've, I've gotten to know you doing this. I think it's excellent. I love that you turned it into a franchise model. I think that's a huge um, level of effort, obviously, that went into that. And when you told me that, I was very impressed by that. How did you get here? What was your background? Well, I actually started back in uh, the medical space, medical services space, back in 2004. So here we are 14 years years later. Um, and the reason why I did that was because we have, we have six children, uh, in that mix of six kids, I have two sets of twins, Wow! which probably explains why I don't have any hair left. <laughs> Either that or my teenage daughters. Ah, teenage <laughs> but, daughters. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, what happened was our, our youngest set of twins, they were born at one pound, 10 ounces and one pound, 12 ounces. Wow. And, and they were born three months early. And my, my wife also flatlined on the operating table for three and a half minutes. Wow. So it was a, it was a scary time um, when they were born. You know, we spent the next couple of years trying to just try to understand how these little preemie babies are now in this world and how do we take care of them. And, you know, obviously we were working with lots of doctors and, and medical professionals and amazing nurses uh, and then I got a phone call from a, a neighbor of mine who was the marketing director for a very large children's charity, Children's Miracle Network. And he said, Brian, we've got a program that we think could do better 
but we'd like you to help us rewrite our business plan. Would you, would you help us with that? At the time I'd written a few books on how to write business plans. We'd started the entrepreneurship center at the university of Utah. And so I was into that a couple of years. I said, absolutely. Let me put stuff on the shelf here. Let me, cause you know, a children's hospital saved my little girl's lives, not to mention my wife as well. What we did is we, we designed some programs for 170 children's hospitals to go out into the marketplace, work with corporations and their employees, and figure out ways to raise more money for those hospitals. I thought this was going to be a six-month project at the time. It actually turned into seven years. <laughs> and during that seven years, we, we raised $1.3 billion. So that got me hooked because I was working with physicians, I was working with medical professionals and families to come up with better services, better products that'll help these little kids, not just the babies, but kids and their families, you know, have a better life. I, I loved doing that. And since then, I, then I got involved in more consulting uh, with uh, doctor's offices across the country. We started working with a couple of companies to help their employees that were chronically ill, uh, try to figure out a better lifestyle for them. So we got heavily involved in the, in the corporate wellness side. And, and then a few years ago, we, we were working with a lot of doctors in the Arizona market where I live, uh, worked with a lot of companies. And then I had two other friends of mine that said, Hey, why don't you, why don't we take your business model? We've been doing franchising for about 25 years, been very successful with several of the franchises that we've done, kind of some household names like Massage Envy, Fantastic Sam's, Money Mailer, um, Anyway, those are a few of those, and they caught my attention. And so we turned this into a business model a few years ago that is medical services and products. I mean, the whole thing that we're about and why I, why I love doing what I do every day is that we're able to literally see how we're making a positive impact on a lot of people's lives whether it's the doctor who's struggling that needs some extra income in their practice or they want to provide better patient care, we've got some really good things for that. Then we look at the corporate wellness side. We literally have nine different programs and, of course, our, our app that is specific to doing really two things. How do we fire up the employees to participate more in the wellness program and how do we reduce the health care expenses at a company? That's If you boil it down to that. And because I also got involved with those two areas, I had some friends who said, well, what if we were to take your corporate wellness program and make that work for seniors in the senior care facilities? So we designed a system that, are, that is specific to elderly patients and everything gets reimbursed by uh, the government payers, uh, mostly Medicare or some of the commercial payers. So it's not a burden on the family. So it's all meant to really stay involved in what I've been doing for many years, and that's consulting with doctors, with hospitals, and companies to provide better health and wellness systems that they can now jump into and literally see a result very quickly from what they've implemented with what we bring to them. That's excellent. I love that story, and I really appreciate you sharing the personal side. I, when I read your bio, and I, I read, had to read it twice to realize you said two sets of twins. <laughs> I mean, the six children already that's makes crazy, me go, wow, but two sets of twins. Yeah, that's crazy. So how old are the different sets of twins? They are literally 10 years apart. That's funny. And they were almost born on the same day. That's so in crazy. February, 
we have uh, we have four birthdays because they're all, <laughs> it was just a few days apart. Well, I guess it was helpful at least that by the, when you had the youngest twins, the oldest ones were at least ten and could help, and yeah. you weren't yeah, dealing with helpful. yeah, you weren't dealing with this like a couple years apart from each other. I can't even imagine. Uh, well, we couldn't imagine it first when we we had our our you know we had our daughter. Uh, Lindsay, and then a year and a half later, we're having twins, and that was a little bit of a an upheaval. Yeah, it's like still three in diapers, right? So, at that point. Oh yeah, it was crazy. So when we found out that we're having twins again, you know, that ten years later, then it's like, oh, okay, well, we've done that already well, before. Let's go do it easy. again. <laughs> yeah, by the time you get to the end, I understand you want you have multiple children. <laughs> the last, the youngest ones are basically like, you're fine. Don't worry about it. eat the dirt. Don't worry about that. You're yeah, good. Right. Don't, don't play with knives. But, you protein know. in there. <laughs> Exactly. The first kid's always the, oh, my gosh, it's dirty, and don't drop their binky, and wash it off, and you know, all that stuff. And by the end, it's like, yeah, hey, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, you'll be okay. You'll, you'll be survive. Okay. That's funny. Or is everybody in Arizona? Uh, everybody but my one daughter that's the other twin. They're they're up in Utah. Everybody oh, else is down here. Oh, I, actually, I guess my son, he's in medical school for just a, during his uh, – stint there and he's up in utah and he's coming back to arizona oh lovely i love hearing you know those kinds of stories having everyone nearby and a big family like that i think the holidays must be a lot of fun at your house i think that's excellent i love the fact that it's so interesting everyone really went into medical of some sort um something must be in the blood or in the water out there (laughs) i was gonna say it's probably in the water kind of like when i told my father-in-law oh mom and dad were uh, we're having twins again and it must be something in the water. <laughs> he said, no, that's not, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> Might be in the genes. <laughs> Might be in the genes. Well, you've, you've done so much, and you've had these wonderful businesses, and you've raised a very successful family. So let's talk about success a little bit. That, that's, you know, one of the, the key topics of this show. I would love to hear what your current definition of success is. I'm sure it's changed over the years, and when it comes to your family, it may be different than business. You're more than welcome to share if you have different definitions or how it's changed over the year. But, right, like, how do you know some Something's been successful. You know, I think it all comes down to helping others <laughs> accomplish something. In other words, you know, we all have different opinions on how much money we should have or how many toys we should own or how much time we should spend with family. Uh, for some, it might be a lot of money. For others, it might just, you know, they're, they're, they just want to be happy. So I, I view it as a way to, how do we grasp hold of the notion that we literally are all here to figure out how to make a difference and how do we make a positive difference in our own life and in the lives of those that know us and how do we inspire others to achieve more so i think if you can set a goal you can work hard you learn along the way and then you achieve that goal that's my simple definition of success, uh, whatever that accomplishment may be. You know, I was a four-sport athlete growing up, and uh, I, I actually I did, I did well. I don't mean to sound arrogant, but I, I was an All-American athlete in a couple of sports and set lots of records in track and field, and some of those records are even standing 37 years later. But, you know, my definition of success as an athlete was how do I, how do I break records? How do, I, how do I get my own personal best? Whereas... <laughs> My friends, a couple, I had a couple of friends who were in the band. Their definition of success is how do I learn this song better and so that I can entertain better at halftime. So I think it really comes down to how do you, setting a goal, you work hard at it, you learn along the way, 
and then you achieve that goal. And as long as we can show by example how we can inspire others to achieve more, then that's my de- definition of success. The thing that's nice about the idea of, you know, from a success definition perspective, helping others accomplish something is that that can be anything. It can be in work. It can be in family. It's not, you know, you don't have to have a different definition for success in different areas of your life. You can see something as success as long as you're helping others accomplish something or helping them accomplish their goals. I'm sure to become an all-star athlete like that and to set those records, you had coaches or you had someone out there helping you achieve success, right? Amazing coaches, incredible parents great siblings, awesome friends, all that all came together to help me achieve more. It wasn't just me doing it on my own. Right. Um, You know, know, and as a team, I've played on state championship teams in different sports, and I played on a national championship football team. You can always tell when you're on a championship team because a couple of things are going to happen. We're going to look out after each other. We're going to have each other's back when times get tough. We're going to hold each other accountable to say, I've got my job to do. I'll do my job. I'm expecting you to do your job, and I'm going to hold you accountable, but I expect you to hold me accountable as well. And then we all work together as a family to try make it, uh, uh, you know, make it into a success that we can all be proud of and look back on and say, yep, I was part of that. That's why I view that in business, too. I take a lot of the sports philosophies that I learned as a kid growing up and then when all of when you know when I had very severe head trauma from football and and my my NFL career was cut short I couldn't I couldn't play anymore I had too many concussions I ended up losing my sight several times oh, so wow. the point is when you get something pulled away from you like that you know now you need a support network around you and that's got to be your family and your friends and your coaches even and uh, others that you associate with so those individuals in my life helped me find success even when I thought my path had been set straight and I was going to be a professional athlete. That all got, that all got taken away very quickly. And then I had to rely on my own support network to get out of that doldrum and you know make, a, make something out of my life. And I'm not saying it was easy by any stretch of the means, but I, I had amazing people around me from my parents and my siblings. Then later on with my wife, then, you know, with friends along the way and coaches and to collectively together, we, they helped me get through those tough times as we all do throughout all all of our entire lives. And that's why I I just feel very strongly about if we can inspire others to achieve more, if we can have our own personal goals set that we want to help other people and, and make a difference that way, then I think that's, once we achieve that together, that's, that's a, at least my definition of success. I think that's great, and I think it translates so well into the boardroom or the C-suite or to any type of leadership role. Helping others achieve something or helping them achieve more um, is really such a key to leading, to leading others. What makes a great coach or what makes a great leader is exactly what you're saying. Well, I think the last thing to that, that I probably wanted to add to that is back in 2001, I was, I was actually doing a workshop with uh, a lot of leaders in, in the up in Utah at the time, and I'd written a couple of books on writing business plans and raising capital. One of those individuals that was in the audience was the dean of the business college of the University of Utah, and he said, Brian, I really want you to come. I want, to, I want, to, I want you to allow us to use a couple of your books because I've read them and I like them, but I'd like you to come and teach entrepreneurship. And at first I thought, well, that's quite an honor. That's really cool. Why, why, you know, why do you want to do that? His name is Jack Britton. I said, Dean Britton, why do you want to do that? And he says, well, we want to start an entrepreneurship center, and I want it to be taught 
by individuals who are entrepreneurs. And I said, at the time, I said, well, I don't have a PhD, so is that going to matter? And he said, absolutely not. He said, Brian, I, I want real life, down and dirty, the good, the bad, and the ugly of running a business. And most PhDs are not entrepreneurs. They don't, entrepreneurs don't have time to get a PhD. So there were four of us that actually started that entrepreneurship center. Uh, we actually ran that for 10 years. I, I taught over 3,500 students just in my classes. We launched about 1,100 companies, a little over 1,100 companies, and created 14,000 new jobs. And I've, I've since seen a lot of my students on Shark Tank, which is awesome to sit That's there cool. and you're you know, <laughs> watching it on TV, and I see some of my former students. I think all of that, and now they're paying it forward, and they're hiring people, and they're creating jobs, and they are, they are now the ones making the difference. That was a huge education for me, even though I was supposed to be the educator Every, every week we'd go in, those, those uh, MBA students would teach me something new. And it was, it was amazing to be a part of that for 10 years. That's really neat. What, I would think that playing sports and professional sports, college sports at an elite level like you've played them also teaches you a lot about overcoming failure, overcoming adversity, or overcoming setbacks. How have you used those lessons now as an entrepreneur yourself or as a, you know, as a business person? What's the one thing, if you were to say to an up-and-coming entrepreneur or a C-suite executive about overcoming um, setbacks and adversity or obstacles that you've learned, probably, I would think, from sports, but maybe from somewhere else in life, what's that lesson? I've definitely learned um, that no one's perfect, and you will not always have good days. We all know that. But I think what it comes down to is we all need to recognize that <clears throat> that storm is going to pass. And when we forget that that storm is going to pass, there's usually someone else that steps in into our life that says, you know what, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be here right with you, and I'm going to help you through this. I've had to, in many times in my life, had to wake up that day and say, I, I literally have to force myself to either make a phone call, uh, go on an appointment, get in the car and go through the traffic scenario or nightmare again, whatever it may be, get on another plane when I didn't want to. And there's been many times that I didn't want to do something, but I did it anyway, and I got through it, and I just picked myself up because in the, also in the book, uh, there's, there's actually a whole chapter about remaining positive and having a direct positive attitude that will affect you and the rest of the people in your life. Uh, just one quick story. When I, was, uh, when I was a freshman in college, I thought I was pretty cool. You know, I had a full-ride scholarship to play football and run track. And my, our first meeting, there were 104 freshmen in this meeting. And our football coach, Coach Lavelle Edwards, was just amazing. He said, many of you, in fact, all of you in this room today are very talented. Many of you caught our attention and we gave you a scholarship. But I want to talk to the rest of you who don't have a scholarship. And I'm thinking, well, okay, that's kind of weird because I have a full-ride scholarship. You're now not going to talk to me? And he said, I want to address you all that may want to walk on. I'm telling you here today that you can absolutely have an opportunity to play football at our university. There's no question about that. And all of you that have scholarships realize that those guys are probably a little bit more hungry than you are. He said, but to every one of you, I want to express that a positive attitude will take you farther in life than skill and talent ever will. And I've never forgotten that. Now, Coach Edwards coached us. We won a national championship. We won conference championships while I was there. 
uh, he was an amazing man. He just passed away last year. So it was unbelievable to learn at his feet, along with my own parents, that when you have a positive attitude, you can accomplish anything you want to. You just got to remember to keep that positive attitude forward and to kick out all the negative uh, things that come into our lives, kick it to the curb and figure out a way for that specific day, hour and minute, how you can become positive either by taking a breather, thinking about positive things, reading something positive or listening to your show, <laughs> Sharon, <laughs> so that you, so you can have some uh, positive things coming from you and your guests. You know, it's funny. They always say success leaves clues. And I've done three interviews today. I always do a bunch of interviews in the same day for anyone listening. That's my little secret. And all three interviews today, which are all, you know, when by the time we're listening to Brian's, will probably all be released, are all three people talked about happiness and positivity. And I've given my examples already of how it has affected my life and when I'm positive and when I'm really focused on positivity, how things just manifest very quickly without me having to do a lot. And when I'm in that depressed or funky place, which we all get, things just sure. yeah, stop happening because momentum is momentum. It, it, it can be positive momentum and it can be negative momentum and it all builds um, it all culminates somewhere. So I love the fact that three interviews today, and if anyone's listening to these in any kind of order, they'll hear all three of those interviews, that everybody was talking about positivity and happiness. And I just like to remind everyone that success leaves clues. So when you start to hear the same thing over and over and over again from people who are doing well um, and or have a great message, there's something to that, and there's maybe time to do something about it. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. Absolutely. Strongly believe all that. Excellent. Well, what we're going to do is make sure that our listeners have your contact information, your LinkedIn information, your website, and all of that if they want to learn more, get your books, uh, talk to you about corporate wellness. Make sure everyone has your, your contact information. Before I let you go, I do want you to leave some uh, imparting wisdom. What What is a Brian a Brianism? What would your kids say? Oh, he keeps saying that over and over again. Um, or people you work with. What's what's the thing that Brian's known for that is a lasting impression we should all know about? Well, I, I really do believe that um, y- you know there's there's a difference between happiness and success because the world views success um, as uh, something different than maybe you maybe you and I do. So, but when people are happy, they tend to develop new skills. Those new skills that they have can lead to more success those successes can lead to more happiness. However, I will say that um, when when it really comes down to everything, the benefits of a positive attitude, you can have a better career. You can reduce stress. You have better teamwork, whether it's in your company or in your family or at your church, wherever it may be. You can increase your relationships with with people with a positive attitude. They'll, They'll love you for the fact that you are you and you're positive and you bring a whole light into the room. And then you can also, when times are tough, with a positive attitude, when you're not with people and you're only by yourself and you're wondering, why is the world piling on top of me? You can motivate yourself to improve as well and to get out of those doldrums and to focus more on that positive attitude. So if there's one thing I could leave with everybody is positive attitude. And it's really up to us to find what that positive attitude should look like and what it should feel like. But once we do have that positive attitude, other people notice you become the light of the room, and they want to associate with you. And then more doors open up. Like you said, 
success leaves clues, I say that a positive attitude also opens up new opportunities for everyone. Excellent. I love that. I remember the first time we met, we were at a conference and we were all sitting at tables and you sat down at the table I was at and we just struck up conversation. I remember thinking you are that kind of person. You were very positive. You were fun to speak with. I really enjoyed the conversation and seen you a few times since. Actually going to see you soon at an upcoming event, which is excellent and exciting. You're going to sign a copy of the book I have of yours. And I just love having these conversations with you. So thank you so much for joining us today, Brian. Thank you, Sharon. It's been an absolute honor as always. I, I love being with you and talking with you and I appreciate your your great example and all the great things that you're doing so thank you for having me on thank you and we will talk soon okay have a great, have a great day. day thanks you too Brian bye thanks for listening today tune in for our next episode and in the meantime you can get more resources at www.c-suiteresults.com make it a successful day like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.